John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 6. Entry 209LV2113. Certificate number 49406. Chastity Belts. I believe in the Chastity Belt entry, we talked about kind of the modern descendant of the medieval idea of actual metallurgical chastity belts, which is, is juicy couture yes, it's, shorts. It's, it's pants that say juicy on the butt. Uh, no, Certainly it's a chastity belt. From that's where the I opposite. Stand. That's, oh, the, that's, that's an unchastity oh, belt. I see. That's a depravity belt. I see. Uh, no, it's uh, just this, the general trope in our culture of fathers taking a weird, weirdly possessory oh, right. interest in their daughter's Father, daughter, chastity. date night. Yeah. Or just the idea that, that their job is to is to defend their daughter's virtue. Right. There's a chastity ring, a purity ring, even if you yes. want to get indie rock about it. Uh, wait, is that indie rock? Uh, there's a band called Purity. There's ring. also a band named Chastity Belt, isn't there? Right on. <laughs> <laughs> so you could you could have a full chastity outfit. I like their early stuff. And uh, I, you know, I find find it a little. Odd, the mm. trope of the dad who's super interested in his daughter's sex life. Yeah. We're both fathers of daughters, and so far, I see, maybe I just don't have whatever gene this is. To be super nervous about it. I don't like young boys, so I intend to torture them all, but not for my daughter's chastity, just for my own sadistic You would just pleasure. be torturing neighborhood boys anyway in, in your special room behind the garage. I would, yeah. Uh so a listener named Rory wanted us to know his story along these lines. Mm. Uh, it's a prom date story. He took his friend's younger sister to prom. He says that she had a a crush on him and didn't have a date, so he agreed when, when she asked him. He shows up at her house, and her father and a bunch of his friends are sitting there drinking and playing cards. The date's daughter comes over and puts his arm around Rory's shoulder, saying how happy he was. The date's father. The date, yeah, the date's father comes up to the date, and this is yeah. this is normally a, a scenario in our culture for a lot of kind of joking but not joking jokes about my right. da- my daughter better be a virgin or better you know yeah be home by midnight or something like that or because she- the virginity of my daughter is an important possession to me. Mm-hmm. 
then his, so, but he's just being friendly. But then his expression changed slightly, and he said, "Remember to always carry protection." And I felt a nudge in my side. I looked down, and he had a forty-five in my ribs. Whoa! The story is interesting on several levels to me. Remember to always carry protection, but then he pushes a gun into his side. Yes. Implying that the gun is his protection? Maybe, or or implying he should have worn a bulletproof vest to uh, to prom. Oh, right. You need to wear a Kevlar chastity belt. I think what he was saying is, if you get my daughter pregnant, I will shoot you. Yes, he is, but the metaphor is a little confusing yes, because he, little he's impl- he's implying that the prom date should should have protection, which really suggests, well, for one thing, it suggests contraception. Yeah, I think that he's saying it out loud because he wants to appear to be the the cool, like, dad, take, take protection. He, but, do, he doesn't want his poker buddies or daughter to know that he's actually... He's really communicating to the kid, do, don't touch my daughter. Uh, I've heard Joe Biden make a ton of these kind of queasy, not my little girls. If I had my way, they'd mm. they'd never leave the house and mm-hmm. be daddy's little girls forever. Yeah. And I'm sure this went over big on the stump speech the last time he ran for president in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, he has a lot of experience running for president. He does. He did it when I was in uh, middle school. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's not besmirch the good name of Joe Biden because he's our only chance now. (laughs) He's our least bad old man option. We had another not bad old man option, but we got rid of him. Now we're down to two. Um, But I feel like, yeah, so we are going to have a president who's on the record as, um, as being chortling about his daughter's hymen. Inshallah, we'll have a president that does. That's, uh, otherwise, we'll have a we'll that's have a best president, case scenario. Yeah, a president that's like a, a, an avid rapist and leering about his own daughters. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Right. That's right. He would have sex with them if he could. He said. So, I, <laughs> right. yeah, he's on the record. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's. Um, I don't know if that's too far the other way or if that's just too far in the same direction. Boy, <sighs> hard I'm, hard to. I mean, it's also appalling. It's really hard to take a side. <laughs> Entry 1182.jb2419, certificate number 17398, Snow Valley, Oklahoma. Uh, in the in the interest of really the the most important cause there is, which was getting my son Pokemon cards. Oh, that's right. This was our this was our we did a show sellout about, show. We did a show about local Missouri skiing or Oklahoma, local Oklahoma, Oklahoma skiing, L- Oklahoma skiing. Right. And and I by the way, I don't think Dylan ever got the cards. Well, we sold out, and he gets nothing. This is what happens when you sell out. That's right. You make the the major label deal, and then and then nothing. You regret it. They, that's every time. Creative Pokemon card accounting screws you over. We heard from in the in the show. I believe I said that if you currently lived in Oklahoma, your closest skiing option would be somewhere in Iowa. Right. I can't remember the Iowa ski resort in question, but it, it looked pretty sad. But did someone come in and tell us that there's Ma- one in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's um, Pablo Escobar's <laughs> Cocaine Mountain. It's not real snow, but it is white. No, uh, yeah, we mistakenly said, I mistakenly said, you know what? 
Buck stops here with me, John. Hey, way to take credit. I made a mistake. Okay. I was wrong, and I'm man enough to admit it. Mount Crescent Ski Area in uh, southwest Ohio is not the closest Oklahoma skiing. Okay. Ever since Ohio is a long way from Oklahoma. Iowa, sorry. Oh, you know Iowa what? is also not, the, not close to Oklahoma. You know what? I said Ohio, I think, and I'm going to take responsibility for that. I was wrong. Okay. It was Iowa. That's a second wrong. The buck stops here with me. Uh, okay. Uh, Ohio and Iowa, two different states. Okay. Cascading wrongness, and you're taking responsibility for it all. In fact, at the time, of, at the time when the abortive attempt at Snow Valley, Oklahoma was made, I think that is true that you would have had to go all the way to Iowa. But since 1986, um, the year I graduated from high school, the year Joe Biden last decided <laughs> to run for president, uh, there has been on the bluffs near uh, Marshall Township, Missouri, just northwest of Kansas City, oh. there has been a ski area called Snow Creek. Snow Creek, Missouri. Uh, it's got a toboggan run or a tubing run called Tornado Alley, which mm, is maybe that's clever. That seems like it's tempting fate. <laughs> if you're if you're in Northwest Missouri, do you really want to have your your tubing run called Tornado Alley? And it's got ski. And I'm looking at a, let's see, I'm looking at a trail map right now of Snow Creek, Missouri. So there's little Snow Creek, big Snow Creek, and medium Snow Creek. <laughs> and this one's just right. There appear to be four different lifts, four different ski lifts it's at, well, at this larger-than-you'd-expect Missouri ski resort. Sounds like Big Snow Creek, Little Snow Creek, and regular Snow Creek all get one lift each. Wow, it's really close to Ashland High School there in Ashland, Missouri. Is that someplace you know of? Uh, well... Or are you just trying to sound like a, a native? Go, uh... Go Ashland Jayhawks. Tornadoes! Uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking from the standpoint of a Missouri high school having a ski team. I bet they don't have a ski team. <laughs> because you could leave school and be up at Big Snow Creek in what looks like about five minutes. There look like there's six or seven different ski runs with names like Six Shooter and mm -hmm. Wagon Wheel. Boy, I'm starting to sense a theme. But it looks like a very mild rise here. It, it, it doesn't look like much of a ski resort. But I guess they, uh, I bet they get some snow. I bet they make some snow. There's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a thing. Oh, wait a minute. Am I, I'm not, this isn't Mississippi, is it? No. Are you thinking Missouri and it's really Mississippi? No. I just, because I get Ohio and Iowa confused, you know about me, I have a condition. I do not get Missouri and Mississippi confused. All right. Now, wait a minute. I had it wrong on my map, and I was looking at Snow Creek, Mississippi. I doubt there's too much snow in Snow Creek, well, Mississippi. That's what, that's what we'll never know. No, it, I'm uh, in Missouri. Snow Creek, Missouri is right by the town of Latin. Not that far from Kansas City, I and guess. And Latin is a town that has two streets, and the most prominent business there is Rusty's Rod and Custom. Also, I don't think it's Latin unless they spell it with all small letters, like um, oh. E.E. E. Cummings. So what is? I think it's Iatan. Iatan. Oh, Iatan. I, I, I don't know. Right. That would be weird that they spell it with all lowercase letters are we gonna <laughs> <laughs> we just thought it would look cooler because this is our first record iatan iatan sounds like it's something you take for diarrhea or whatever rusty's rod and custom let's see why is that the only place that has a that has a google 
business alert there in Iatan. Iatan is at Iatan, the intersection of Iatan Road and uh, Highway 273. I don't think you should be mentioning any businesses there because what if a competing Iatan business decides to advertise on the show? I see what you're saying. So let's just say a, a muffler shop. We don't know which one. <laughs> uh, Ken, I'm having a hard time getting a satellite view here in my Google Maps. What, are, what am I supposed to do? I don't know how to switch over. There should be a little icon that looks like three overlapping sheets of something, maybe. But there isn't. Or can you right-click? Oh, hey, the Tornado Alley tubing trail was actually struck by a tornado in 2003. Busted. They tempted fate. You were absolutely right that they shouldn't have messed around. Anyway, so I apologize to all the people of Oklahoma who have started driving to Iowa because they heard our entry. A mere four hours and 45 minutes away from you is the first-rate skiing of... Snow Creek, Missouri. It's really close to the Missouri River. Yes, it's the bluffs right above the river. So I guess if you go off the edge, if you ski off the cliff, you just wind up in the river. So Kansas City, you know, it's a pretty hilly area. And what's strange is I've driven up not that road. I've driven up Highway 73, which was right on the other side of the river. And, you know, I could see it being uh, snowy there in winter. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, hey, Dylan's loser friend, send him his Pokemon cards. We yeah. had a, we had a deal. Yeah. Hey, Dylan's loser friend. Hey, buddy. Always remember to carry protection. And this is <laughs> this is where I stick a 45 <laughs> in your side, and I say, hand over the Pokemons. Entry six three seven dot ez one seven zero four certificate number three eight nine three eight induced demand. I think we have already, on a past addendum volume, we've mentioned a few follow-ups here. We talked about the uh, ability that emergency vehicles have to change traffic lights. Right. And the various technologies that allow that. Right. Which appear to range from optical light to smoke signals to infrared. Sure, sure. And then we also talked about the the many, many lanes of the KT Freeway, some kind of Houston Beltway, Houston Area Beltway. Right. Uh, yes, right. Uh, and we actually had a, a some kind of a deep throat type source inside a Texas congressional office. Right. Who sent us the the plans. I remember. For the Katy Freeway in which transit got the shaft and they just decided what if it was 32 lanes wide. The Katy Freeway named after the Katy Railroad. This is what has excited some comment from listeners. And we, we now have follow-ups to those follow-ups. Uh, because when, we men- when I mentioned the Katy Freeway, you asked if it was related to the MKT the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad. Right. Is that right? And Andrew wants you to know that you are absolutely right. Here, here. Another example of me being absolutely right. You have... Uh, the buck stops here. We got... The buck stops here. I am right again. We have to... You have to take accountability and admit that you were 100% right. I threw out a wild guess, which turned out to be 100% right, which is my brand. The Katy, the Katy Freeway <laughs> is named for the town of Katy, which was the site of the railway switchyard at the southern terminus of the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad. There it is. The, so the local fa- the families of the workers settled there. They named the town after the acronym. And part of the acronym. <laughs> Apparently, MKT would have been too, just too much. Well, they probably pronounced it MKT, and then that just turned to Katie. Katie bar the door. So yes, uh, in answer to your supposition, your hypothesis, yes. your... Uh, 
you're what? By shooting you're, from the hip. Your random theory. Yes. Uh, we now know that, yes, the Katy, the town of Katy and the Katy Freeway are an early example of a corporate acronym. Right. Uh, like a, a company town, almost. A- MKT. It would, it would be weird today if they were a town named after, you know, if Hewlett-Packard employees lived in HP, spe- right. spelled out. But there is a rapper named MCA from the Beastie Boys. <laughs> but not a town named after him. Not yet. Do you think somewhere in Long Island should be named after MCA? Uh, MCA. Get on the mic, my man. Uh, there could be an actual Paul's Boutique there. I do feel like uh, I feel like that wild shoot from the hip guess was an educated guess because of my knowledge of Americana. Right. You you weren't just randomly saying stuff like you usually do on the show. Which also is 100% right 100% of the time. After we mentioned the power that ambulances and emergency vehicles have to change traffic lights. Which is effectively just an industrial-sized clapper. Clap on... Yes. The driver has to clap really fast clap as he approaches change. the ambulance. And there's different patterns. It's like the Von Trapp children, <laughs> each having a different whistle. Uh, our listener named Nathaniel uh, wants us to know more forbidden ambul- ambulance knowledge. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, he's in Salcom, but he used to be an ambulance guy in Chehalis. I want to know this. Oh, he's from Chehalis. Uh, Chehalis, a Washington town. Is Salcom not in the state of Washington? Salcom is it in Washington, like- but it is a... Really little town. It's like Rochester, Washington. Unincorporated in Lewis County. Yeah. Wow. I can't even picture. I don't think I've ever been through Salcom. But he used to wire ambulances, including, he says, some for Shoreline, which I assume means the city of Shoreline's emergency services. Or is there a, is there a Shoreline ambulance company? I don't. Uh, this is one I don't know. Salcom is a town in Lewis County that is basically just a church. And... A church and like a uh, like a bushel of tomatoes. Do you think our Patreon supporters are delighted to know that they're paying? Basically, they now pay five dollars a month for you to look things up in Google Maps. <laughs> Have you've been to you've been to Morton, right? Where's Morton? Well, it's up that road. Uh, it's like a logging town that's up the road on the way to White Pass. It's that whole area. It's like between Mount Rainier and Mount Saint Helens. There's one road that goes up through Randall. I have never taken that road. Packwood. Have I, you been to Packwood? No, I know where Packwood is, and I've never taken that road. That, it's a, it's kind of an interesting road, but it's definitely like timber dollar country. Boy, those people are all serious about the spotted owl. They love the spotted owl so they much. They love it so much. They've got pictures of it. Yeah, they make spotted owl tacos up there. <laughs> anyway, so he's in Salcom. I've been up that road a bunch of times, and I know what's there in Salcom, which is nothing. Thank you for this. listening to this episode of... John Roderick looks at Google Maps. <laughs> it only costs you $5. And has an anecdote about your town. So the re- so here's Nath- Nathaniel's uh, ambulance knowledge. And if this is true, this is a game changer for me. And maybe we shouldn't even be saying this on the air. Maybe this is too much power for our future listeners. Whisper it to me. Okay. What Nathaniel says is that ambulances yeah. have a lockbox inside with a key no. that opens every front door to every business in the city. Is it a... Three lockbox? The lockbox is unlocked. It has a key. That opens every business in the city. And he often wondered if they ever changed the factory code on the box. Like, if you knew the factory code, could you go into any ambulance in the world and get a key that would open every building in town? This is what I've always said, that the worst possible combination would be to be a locksmith 
and a coke addict. <laughs> I mean, this would be a lot of power for yeah. ambulance. Do we trust our ambulance drivers that much? I saw the Scorsese movie about ambulance drivers, and they seem like an unreliable crew. There's a, there are different kinds of ambulance drivers. There are medics that work for the fire department, and I trust them because they have badges and training. But then there are... Just the private companies. Yeah, they're the people that drive around in ambulances that just like, I don't know, man, they seem super sketchy. Feels like you could get a job. It feels like this guy that lives in freaking Salcom had a job in one. He was wiring them. He was the one, oh. he was doing the ambulance security. So he, that's why he knows all the hacks. Oh man. What well, about that's the thing. The secret's out. If a guy in Salcom that's wiring ambulances knows about the secret key, who else knows? Like how little meth would it take to find the secret out? Uh, what about the ambulance driver in the Flaming Lips song? Mr. Ambulance Driver. Do you oh, know the song? Yeah. Mr. Ambulance Driver. I feel like if you are in a Flaming Lips song, you're already pretty sketchy. Okay, here's the better secret, and this is the one that fascinates me. Nathaniel also says Go on. that most ambulances have a hidden unlock button. What? I assume it would be embarrassing to get locked out of your own ambulance. Oh, especially with somebody like in the back. So he says, if you, he says, go up to a, an ambulance and press on the rear license plate. No. Do you think? This seems like something that like a transformer ambulance would have. I'm glad we're whispering about this because this seems really sketchy for people to know about. Like should, should I'm Googling this right now. Is this a thing? Well, now look. If you are listening to the Omnibus Addenda episode, you have already passed through three tests. Whoa. T- tell them about the three tests. <laughs> First, you have the to three in- tests are: Are you a librarian? <laughs> Answer: Yes. The second test is: Do you enjoy model trains? That's right. Answer: Yes. And also, you have to pay five dollars a month. Yeah. So. I believe they can be trusted with this knowledge. Okay, so you guys, when you go to press the rear button of a of the rear license plate of an ambulance, only do so with the public good in mind. That's right. And I believe that we can trust you. Like if there's somebody in the ambulance who's coding, for example. I don't know what that is, but it sounds bad. Yeah, you don't want a code one or a code ten. No, if there's any kind of code going on in there. Right. I feel like if you have the possibility if there's a trolley problem situation where there's one person in the ambulance but you could rescue 10 people i feel like you take the one person out and fill that ambulance with people you could because you could use the secret key in the front in the lockbox yeah. to save 10 people in the burning building yeah, yeah or yeah. whatever so you have a lot of power now uh addenda listeners unless nathaniel is pranking us or unless he is a coke addict locksmith and can't be trusted Entry 369.ded419, certificate number 26731, the Dogon. You remember the Dogon, don't you, John? Sure, I remember the Dogon. A a lovely people, a friendly people of Mali, Mm -hmm. who are so accommodating to visitors that they lied about their spaceship access they just agreed to having ancient uh yeah ancient flying saucer knowledge right secret ancient flying saucer ambulance secrets uh they also make really cool guitar music and we heard from a listener named justin who actually volunteered 
with the Dogon for two and a half years oh. with the Peace Corps uh, from 2009 to 2011. Well done. Uh, in a village that was about five kilometers outside of Bandiagara, the place with the cliff dwellings we talked about. Mm-hmm. His take on the Dogon is that they were very warm and welcoming and indeed accommodating of outsiders. But the only time he ever heard about the the amazing astronomical knowledge of the Dogon people and their experience with with space um, oddities, with space aliens, with space oddities, was from other tourists and volunteers oh. and and you know white folks. It does seem like the Dogon probably weren't bringing this up because they were uh, they had act- actually no special knowledge. He confirms that that no actual Dogon people believe in that bunk, and he feels bad that the only thing that's known about these people all over the world is some dumb shit that we made up. Right. Um, and that, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I, I mean, I thought about this when we actually did the Dogon episode. And he mentions this, you know, it's it's a bummer that, the po- that we did a podcast about the Dogon, but it was mostly about white interference, colonial interference in their culture. Right. And, th- and that's true of a lot of the shows we've done about indigenous people. It's about the boundaries of them running up against the oppressor. <laughs> right. But that's really all we know about them. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And I, I feel bad because, you know, we did, I think a couple of weeks ago, we released Chinook jargon and Patagonian giant shows back to back. Yeah. And it's the same problem. It's here's some weird stuff that white people thought and changed about an indigenous culture. Well, I've, I've always felt like, uh, an unspoken undercurrent of omnibus is that not only are we recording, um, knowledge that might be forgotten post-apocalypse, but we are truly cataloging a, a very wide selection of potential. Um, uh, these are clues that, that a few that futurelings could use to divine the apocalypse, right? If they were asking from their perch in the future on their, their future in their f- future bird cages, what precipitated the apocalypse? A lot of omnibus entries would give you clues to things in our time that um, that maybe in concert with other omnibus entries created an atmosphere, created an environment ripe for apocalypse. And, and in many ways, our episodes about these encounters show you um, – show you our, our modern preoccupations in a way that maybe presage the apocalypse. Sure. Uh, to them, or foreshadow to the distant future, we are the uncontacted indigenous people. Right. And they're not going to know. And, but we're talking about our obsession about having, having uh, not only contacted a group of earth inhabitants that are long gone, but also our anxiety about having done that. Our anxiety about having recorded the story of having done that. We just don't have a whole lot of, you know, I would love to do more An episode sh- on the on the Sentinelese, but from their perspective? Exactly. Because, because <laughs> but in order to do it, it's a Heise, it's a it's a Schrodinger's uh, uncontacted it, people. It's un- yeah, it's the uncertainty principle. Like if we, if we were to show up in the Sentinelese village and say, "Hey, with a podcast mic," and be like, "Hey, would you be a guest on our show?" Uh, Paula Tompkins dropped out. They would bury us in the sand. Yes, they would. They would stick spears through us, and and we'd be like, you know what? 
We had it coming. Well, they would keep the coconuts, well leave the cannoli, and we would be died. I, I do feel like our civilization, our apocalypse may come as a result of our anxiety. We may <laughs> die of anxiety. <laughs> I feel like uh, that's especially true right now, where most of the pandemic-related suffering I see is just anxious people online who are looking at the news too much because we I are can rec- cure a lot of covid <laughs> angst by just hey uh maybe just delete your social media accounts we're recording this a month and a half before covid19 infects the uh the barrios in brazil and the like in sao paulo and the the um like the poorest neighborhoods in there, Mumbai. There and are African countries Nigeria. that have tens of millions of residents and like three ventilators. Yeah. I was looking at some Central African Republic has three ventilators in the whole country. Yeah. So, so right now it seems like the worst uh, case scenario is that we die of anxiety, but there still may be millions of deaths. So, if uh, futurelings, when you listen to this episode, please do not uh, do not think too ill of us. Because we're in an interregnum. Justin actually did give us some Dogon-era knowledge that is unrelated to colonizers. So I thought oh. this was interesting. He actually saw a, a funeral. But he's saying this as well, a colonizer. Yeah, or exactly. as a helpful colonizer. He's one of the good ones. Yeah. Um, so I guess th- as, as we're telling this probably to more non-Dogon people, I assume most of our listeners are non-Dogon, unless the astronauts come back. Who knows? Um, then, uh, but you know, this is at least firsthand. Uh, there was a, fu- a funeral for an elder of the village that died, and so they ha- he was able to watch two weeks of feasting, mostly drinking open-fermented millet beer, dancing, and a ritual whereby masked spirits invaded the village, a different ancestral spirit that had become one with a tree or a lizard or an antelope or something would come into the village. You know, somebody wearing that mask would represent that. So hundreds of the- everybody in the village is wearing these amazing—we saw the pictures of the yeah, masks. They look incredible. great. So it's really a whole eyes wide shut vibe every time every time a VIP dies in Dogon country. Someone someone with a uh, like a Pagliacci mask is inhabiting the ghost of a of an an ancient Italian clown. You know, I guess in my defense I did do a Mesoamerican ball game show and that is about a pre-contact culture uh and the Spaniards tried to burn all their stuff but one got through. So we know about Mesoamerican ball game. That's the codex. This is the that's like the omnibus codex of the Mayans, right? Although from the standpoint of a futureling, even me doing the preppy handbook just seems to be recording a, a long dead and uncontact or barely contacted people. Uh, we also got a note from Doctor Michael Masters, a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Tech. Go on, which sounds fake, but no, it's actually in Butte. Montana Tech actually produces a lot of uh, U.S. Navy officers. Oh, is that right? Because yeah. they're so far from the ocean? All those strange technical colleges in the middle of the country, if you if you take a survey of officers in the U.S. Navy, they all went to Montana Tech. Or, this ex- explains a lot about weird military culture to it me. It really does. Uh, you'd think they'd be more into bonfires. Or you'd think they'd have grown up sailing, but... Yeah, how come it's not, how come not all from San Diego and Newport News? Yeah, apparently not. Uh, Dr. Masters, I'm sure, is an expert at biological anthropology, but he wants us to know about his... Uh, Dr. Masters. His, <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. Doctor, doctor, doctor. Couldn't, doctor. He, cha- couldn't he change his name to... Doctor, doctor. To, to, to Michael PhD when he got his doctorate? <laughs> he recently, in addition to his day job, he recently published as a side gig a nonfiction science trade book that takes 
quote, a very conservative approach to investigating the UFO phenomenon in the context of time travel and human evolution. He wants us to know about his UFO research. Are you still are you still into this? Well, last night I was watching uh, YouTube videos of the Tic Tac encounter off the coast of California, Catalina Island era it's or a, area. It looks like a big flying Tic Tac. It looked like a big flying Tic Tac. What and, flavor? Uh, uh, white, white Tic Tac. Uh, so I guess mint. Yeah, white's white's good. I like orange too, but okay, go on. Um, some uh, some. Pilots from the USS Nimitz captured video of a 40-foot-long tic-tac flying between 60,000 feet and 50 feet off the water. Are you sure it's not just a regular-sized tic-tac very close to the lens? Well, these guys seem to have instruments in their planes to determine all these things. Mm. And this tic-tac was flying very, uh, as one pilot said, against the laws of physics. So I was watching this video. Of course, like all UFO videos, it looks like a smudge on the lens, but listening to the pilots talk about it, it was, you know, I like to give myself those UFO spooky feelings at two o'clock in the morning when I'm in the bathtub. I don't think I would want that. I don't really want it. I don't know why. If you want to shiver up your spine, just wait till the water gets colder. Dr. Masters uh, theory is that this Tic Tac and all other alien and UFO encounters are actually the distant human descendants of us. He's a time travel scientist. Yes. Uh, he's an anthro- He believes that these are future anthropologists who have access to time machines. I see. And they come back and visit us by, you know, zooming, by buzzing the Nimitz pilots. Trying to figure out if we have any sil- silk, sea silk hats that they, oh, wait, I'm doing that thing where I refer to a future episode, aren't I? It's classic. It's an addenda classic <laughs> where John thinks you've heard the June shows. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he assumes that these future people have maybe listened to Omnibus. Right. They've listened to, uh, let's see, what are the May, what are the, um, sorry, the April episodes you may be listening to in your era? Perhaps they have listened to, uh, ooh, Prairie Schooners. Oh, yeah, Prairie Schooners. Or Ferdinandia. Yep. Those are good ones. Or even the li- upcoming live episode from the Joko crew. Oh, sure. Uh, with a special about, guest. About Titanics. About about one or more Titanics. So maybe they you've heard those, future listeners, and you were fascinated. You were like, uh, Prairie Schooners, I got to see one. Yes. I, I And I'm going to get in my Tic Tac and go back in time. W- what do you think about Dr. Master's theory? Well, they're not going to see a prairie schooner from off the coast of Catalina <laughs> Island. Yeah, they're not, their navigation is not great. Well, well it's because they're academics. Yeah, they thought it was a schooner. They were like, I know what a schooner is. <laughs> that explains why they're so bad at steering. They're just, they're academics. They're um, oh, right. They're not ready for real life. No, they're scientists. and uh, They teach at Montana Tech in the year 64,000. Yeah. Some, somebody, uh, somebody was like, let me teach you how to fly the Tic Tac. And they were like, no, 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 no. That's all right. I'm a cultural anthropologist. <laughs> Back off, sir. <laughs> it's going to be okay. I'm a cultural anthropologist. If, uh, I guess it solves the problem of faster than light travel. If all these a- so-called aliens are from here, right? They didn't have to travel very far to get here at all. You know, my theory about time travel. Mm, tell me your theory about time travel. Well, my, f- uh, maybe it's is, not a feeling. Isn't your theory, don't talk to me about time travel? No, well, that is, that's, that's my general, uh, my overarching um, it's not like a th- policy. It's, it's not a theory so much. It's, yeah, it's, it's a policy. It's more of an etiquette issue. But I do feel like there's another etiquette issue around time travel, which is do not go to the future. If you are gifted the power of time travel, there's only one direction to go, and that is the past. So doesn't the arc of the universe trend toward justice? 
It does. It does. And time is a flat circle. But if you go to the future, here's what you are. A drag on everybody. Because you get there, and as soon as you're there, you're like, wow, the future. And they're like, yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to know how to do. So somebody's going to have to teach you. And then basically all is the you, idea that you're living there, you're, well, you, you go just, there. E- even on the tour, yeah, you're you going to annoy people. No matter how long you're there, they're just amazing. You, you're not bringing anything to them. They're like, yeah, we know all about macaroni and cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Seinfeld. Just, you're just some dumb Kevin. Yeah. You're a dumb Kevin. And you basically With no tech, no good a, tech. You're a burden on the people of the future. You still have the iPhone 11. Yeah. And all they're, all they're doing is showing you stuff. Whereas if you go to the past, you're a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. You can change the arc of time. You can show people amazing, can, like fireworks you can and buy stuff. the right stocks. Yeah. Uh, it sounds to me like you're a, a true believer in Dr. Masters theory. Oh, for sure. Dr. Masters and I are going to have a lot to talk about when I immediately trek to Montana tech. You are in luck. He's going to send us a copy of his book, identified flying objects, a multidisciplinary scientific approach to the UFO phenomenon. Ancient aliens, man. I'm no, not- no, they're not ancient. They're, uh, future What's the opposite aliens. Ancient? They're tomorrow's aliens. Tomorrow's aliens they're from, today. They're from all tomorrow's parties. Yeah. <laughs> tomorrow's aliens today. Entry 869.EZ4510. Certificate number 19345. Operation Just Cause. Uh, apparently... Now, am I right that... All of the episodes of this, uh, all of the episodes we're covering in this addenda are Ken episodes. Let me see. Snow Valley, Dogon, Dogon, Ken, Dose Demand, Chastity. These are we're we're five for five. They're all Ken episodes. But, uh, I don't. I can't account for it because I just huh? wait till somebody emails us a weird thing. It's just a thing. Do you think I I, I subconsciously find weird follow up facts to your episodes boring, and I'm like, that's not going in the addendum. I don't think so. I think it's just a thing where uh, where there's some fan engagement happening here around some Ken episodes. Are they are most of these addenda corrections? Yeah, maybe that's because that the would thing. make that make sense. To I'm me. wrong so often <laughs> that I require more help. No, but they don't seem that way. They just seem like uh, some anecdotes around Ken episodes. It does seem like I am the problem in the system. Maybe there's a, there's no possibility to add an anecdote to my episodes because I have added every anecdote. They already have a crystalline perfection <laughs> and everyone just kind of admires it. No, I think it's more that people are like, oh, God, he's telling another story about some motorcycle trip. Like, no, thanks. Uh, Brian, apparently at some point in Operation Just Cuz, uh we mentioned, oh, and this was something in the addenda? <laughs> in the addenda to Operation Just Cause? I don't know where we mentioned this. Maybe right. this is a John show. Okay. It, I don't believe that. Okay, Just I'm going to mention a thing, and uh, you'll, say, you'll see if you remember talking about it in this podcast. Go. A chit system put in place to deal with a country that did not have coinage. No idea. What? Like, repla- like replacing coins with a series of papers like um like they would rip a paper in half and oh we did talk about this like it was a country that didn't have coins they used the dollar but they only had our paper money so if something was a buck 50 they would they ripped a piece of paper and said here's 45 cents for next time and the paper would just say i owe you 45 cents i am two a quarter and two dimes uh, okay does this not ring a bell no 
I think it maybe it was. Is it related to Panama? Maybe it is the Just Cause episode. Anyway, Brian wants to tell us about a Latin club trip he took to Rome in high school. La di da, Brian. Yeah, fancy kid. Well, these are, these are these are our Patreon donors who can listen to the addenda. Oh, sure, sure, sure. They've got disposable income. Thank you, Brian. We are not making fun of you for your privilege. Um, but when he was in Rome in the early eighties, there was a an, an Italy wide shortage of coins going on. In the early 80s? Yes. For, okay. for whatever reason, shopkeepers could not make change when Brian's Latin Club was in Rome in the early 80s. This sounds like a thing they told him when they didn't give him his change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. We don't have any lira. It's oh, all out. I cannot find the coins. Here's a little note to you. You take this. Well, actually, this might be true. He said vendors there would... Um, D- substitute coins with a, a locally grown system of their own invention. Baseball card sized pictures of the Pope. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. You get those everywhere. Much as we have baseball cards in this country, the equivalent of baseball in Italy is the Catholic- Pope. Catholicism. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so kids like to trade little papal trading cards. And uh, the, he, th- he thinks there was some kind of rate of exchange between Pope pictures and currency. So you, hmm. you could come back in, and if you had the John the 23rd card, they would know that was a thousand lira and act accordingly. I think the church, though, is handing out free Pope cards somewhere. Where? Where, where are you imagining? Like I at, don't, at Mass? I don't think that the. I don't think the Catholic Church is charging people for Pope cards, but maybe. Well, it seems to me something where uh, you could get merchandising rights easily. Like the Pope's right. in the public domain. Sure. Like if you wanted to print pictures of a. Eros Ramazzotti or some other Italian pop star, you would run afoul of their lawyers. Right, right, right. The three tenors. Right. You're not going to be able Laura to make that Pausini. 75 cents. Exactly. But, or uh, uh, Adriano Celentano. But the Pope is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't do prison call and ensign on Chiusel cards or All right. whatever it is. Yeah. But the Pope belongs to everyone. Here's my question. If you're going to give somebody change in Italy... Why not just give them half a cannoli or three quarters of a cannoli? Or do you think everyone has fractional cannolis? I around? do. I feel like you got a cannoli, cut it in half, whatever. Don't, just get some extra portion because all you buy in Italy is food and cigarettes. I don't so, know if that's true. <laughs> just get more food or like open a pack of cigarettes. Give want, somebody fourteen cigarettes. What if you want to buy a nice a nice suit or a Vespa? Oh right, uh, you could give me change if I bought a Vespa and you needed to give me change. I'd take it in cigarettes. Did you know you could encode a, uh, a full encyclopedia's worth of knowledge with a single mark on a cannoli just by computing the fraction along the length of the cannoli? Really, and marking accordingly. That seems like an omnibus episode. I don't. There, I don't believe there's anything in the early '80s that you could buy in Italy that you wouldn't take cigarettes in change because Italy was like prison. <laughs> <laughs> and the economy was basically basically cigarette-based. Because if you got a nice suit, what goes with a suit better than a cigarette? Cigarettes go with everything. What goes better with a, with a Vespa than a cigarette? I think at the time they would have said, what goes with everything? The Pope. Hey! We love the Pope. Uh, il Papa. Entry 565PR1121. Certificate number 26,004. <laughs> There's now a comma in the certificate numbers. Hands Across America, a John episode. Finally. Hands Across America. This episode is, uh, people are talking about Hands Across America in as we record this because everyone's afraid there's going to be a celebrity coronavirus 
benefit oh right single. because of that that super weird imagine video that went around <laughs> right <laughs> i guess we already had ours i really and we I, and we negged it so much it went away and agreed never to talk about it again i know that celebrities want to help but they should just stay home and be quiet uh i i on that show i never got to mention my favorite uh hands across america thing because it was after the timeline do you remember in the first gulf war it only lasted like 72 hours. But during the Gulf War lasted longer than 72 hours. It did. It didn't really. Oh, okay, you're right. <laughs> but but in the run up to the Gulf War, there was a lot of concern that this not become our next Vietnam in terms of not just in terms of the quagmire, but in terms of we should not disrespect our troops this time. Oh, right, right, right. This is the this is the old problem of uh, the reason we lost the Vietnam War is that we disrespected the troops, not yes. because it was an unjust war. If apocryphal people hadn't spit on troops in bus stations, right. it wasn't Walter Cronkite's fault. We, we would have won. It was the civilian uh, lack C- of faith. Civilian apathy. Right. Uh, and there was this weird burst of patriotism right at the time of the first Gulf War, that didn't happen in my subculture. You didn't see this. No, we were all we were all smoking pot and 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 shaking our fists at the government. At the man. Yeah. Uh, in the broader culture, people really wanted to show that they supported our brave troops out in the desert. Right, but this wasn't yellow ribbons because that was the hostage crisis. So this is post yellow ribbon. Oh, there must have been yellow ribbons. I think there were. There yellow were ribbons. yellow ribbons, but it was a different. Uh, the yellow ribbons took on a different significance. A bunch of celebrities got together and recorded a song called Voices That Care, co-written by... Kenny Chesney. Peter Cetera and Whoa. Linda Thompson. Not Shoot Out the Lights, Richard and Linda Thompson, but Linda Thompson, one of the hee-haw honeys who married the Olympic champ formerly known as Bruce Jenner. Huh. She was Bruce Jenner's wife and one of the the blonde cleavage hee-haw girls. Pre-Kardashians. Yes. And Peter Cetera. Pre-Christian. Uh, bass player and singer of Chicago. Yes. Who went solo in the mid-80s. And I guess Linda Thompson, who was then married to... Was she still married to Bruce Jenner at this no, point? No, this time she's married to... This is how she gets involved. She's married to David Foster... A, a, a musician and producer and music executive who wrote, he and his wife, Linda, wrote the Whitney Houston song, I Have Nothing from the Bodyguard soundtrack. Hmm. Bodyguard if- soundtrack, one of the greatest selling soundtrack albums of all time. Yes. Oh, and speaking of best selling soundtrack albums, he composed the score for St. Almost Fire, including the instrumental. Oh, interesting. He's a, it looks like he's a Chicago groupie. He's a, he's a Satara collaborator. He wrote Cetera's number one hit, Glory of Love. Yeah. He wrote Forever by Kenny Loggins. So he's making he's making some bank uh, in the in, in the, the old in the Chicago orbit, right? The old songwriting circuit. Yes, and he, so the three of them write a single called Voices That Care. Which, Not Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. <laughs> no. Um, that and the single does have a, a glowing heart with kind of a. Who is that? Is that Keith Haring, who's the dancing guy? Oh, sure. It's kind of a Keith Haring-looking heart with a yellow ribbon on it. Was Keith Haring uh, not alive at this point? <laughs> to sue? <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of a second-tier series of singers. It inc- it seems to include a bunch of um, 
a bunch of new edition guys. It's got Bobby Brown and the gang. Right. It's got Celine Dion. That's a pretty good get. Luther Vandross, Garth Brooks, Nelson, both of the twins from Nelson. Garth Brooks, the greatest selling he, artist he, of all time. He would have been the biggest music star at the time. Right. Uh, Will Smith, uh, okay. at, at the time, just a family-friendly rapper. Not yet Will, the Will Smith we know. Mark Knopfler plays the guitar solo. The sax solo is by Kenny G, of course. Sure. Little Richard. But it's kind of a thin We Are the World group. But <laughs> then there's a music video where a choir uh, sings the song. And the choir is just everybody worked the phones and got everyone. <laughs> Dominique Wilkins, David Robinson, and Michael Jordan and Magic and Clive Drexler are singing the song on an NBA arena. Oh. Noel Carter, Jimmy Buffett. Whoa. Chevy Chase, Billy Crystal. I always picture Kevin Costner. Yep, Kevin Costner. <laughs> so imagine a We Are the World where Kevin Costner and John Lovitz and Oral Hershiser and William Shatner and Meryl Streep. Wow. All the guys from Warrant are in the chorus? Uh-huh. Uh, so Warrant next to Henry Winkler, maybe, if they're sitting alphabetically. Uh-huh. Helen Reddy next to Paul Rodriguez. <laughs> Peter Max next to Alyssa Milano. So it's really just uh, everybody worked the phones. Alyssa Milano is my favorite of all these people. So far? Uh, yeah. I bet I can mention someone you're more I into mean, than I Alyssa I mean, I like Mark Milano. Knopfler. Uh, Ted Danson. No. Nell Carter. I've met Ted Danson. Uh, there's got to be somebody here you, you were more attracted to than... Than Alyssa Milano? Than Alyssa Milano. Hard Mickey to... Dolan's of the Monkeys. Rick mm. D's. She, oh, Sheena Easton. I would go Sheena Easton over Melissa Milano in a you heartbeat. Would, what? Yes. I mean, Sheena Easton's amazing, but oh, we're talking about Alyssa Milano. I feel like you're overly fetishizing Alyssa Milano. It's not really a fetish. It's just more like an, no, it's a fetish. Like an appreciation. <laughs> it's a fetish. <laughs> I, it's my fetish. I can't. Uh, I can't perform unless Alyssa Milano is there. <laughs> anyway, I just so I just wanted to talk about this awful voices of the uh, uh, hands across America. And how is the song? It sounds awful. Well, it well, sounds like it would be awful. Let's play a little bit of it right now, okay. so, so people can appreciate. It. Okay. Good. Okay, what did you think? Um, <laughs> I'm going to stand with stand with awful. <laughs> anyway, uh, during the Hands Across America entry, we uh, we talked about how President Reagan was in the chain at the White House. I think, yeah, and whether or not you could have actually electrocuted anyone if you if you could have tried to assassinate the president or anyone else in the chain by miles away, somebody grabbing some kind of a high voltage wire. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not that would kill everyone in between, including Jamie Farr, who we mentioned as being in the chain in Toledo, Ohio. John, not you, a different John, writes in to say that his memory of high school physics is such that the person would only electrocute the people at the end of the chain. So oh. the, the charge would pass harmlessly through everyone else. Oh. And, okay, uh, sure. So I've Except some, everyone else is grounded. That's the issue. The issue is who is grounded. Right. Now, we know from his response to the AIDS crisis that President Reagan was not well-grounded. True. Uh, too soon? Uh, some of, uh, you know, I'm not sure how well-grounded Jamie Farr was. 
Is he wearing one of his lacy outfits from MASH? How well does that conduct electricity? Anyway, so it depends on how strong the voltage is and how well grounded each member of the chain is. Because even if even if uh, the voltage continues traveling, it's going to diffuse at some point. Yeah. Like if you put a live wire in the ocean, a fish 100 feet away is going to be fine. Sure. Uh, but this, because the charge diffuses. We talked about this uh, in our um, undersea cable episode, yes. which probably still has not aired. <laughs> it has not. Aired. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna need, you know, you're gonna need a bigger amp. Yes, as we say. So even if President Reagan is the only one grounded, if everybody else is wearing rubber sneakers and mm-hmm. he's and he's standing in a pool of of copper salt water and a copper bucket, uh, he would still be fine if he's. Miles down the chain. Right. So good news for Reagan fans. He's going to be okay. Um, If you were pretty close and he was the only one who was grounded, I guess that would be possible. We're just trying to kill Reagan with an electrical shock uh, from 40 years ago. What if it had cured his Alzheimer's? Like maybe maybe he needed Hmm. a little shock. Entry 749.2S1114, certificate number 35752. Remember those numbers because it's mail trucks. You're going to need them again. <laughs> Norm- normally the addenda are addenda to recent shows. Sure, but this all goes all the way back to show number 87 from September of 2018. Which for some reason people continue to be interested in. Mail even trucks. Even though it's not a very good show. <laughs> <laughs> but mail trucks are uh, are something that everyone can see. Uh, yes. Mail trucks are all around us all the time. And even though maybe we didn't love that show, the consensus in the, the future sphere was that it was Hecka Slammon. Sometimes we do shows where when we're done, we give each other... A, a virtual long distance high five. We don't like actually touching one another, but we, we can't. But uh, we're right. six feet apart. It's a long table. But uh, but that was not one of them. We got to the end of that <laughs> mail trucks episode, and we're like, yeah, it's all right, good job. You were super bummed after the genuine genuine insurance show. You were like, I don't think I even mentioned Genoa once. <laughs> but like online, people were like, and what a great show it was! Like everyone was so happy. I was like, well, I don't know if you want to start with that one, but okay. Uh, Anyway, Seth wanted us to update everyone on the state of the mail truck contest because the, oh. the, the post office's major aging fleet of Grumman LLVs is due to be replaced. Right. And in fact, 2020, this is the year when they were expected to award $6 billion in contracts. Heck of slamming. <laughs> Let's get to Raymond. <laughs> uh, so they had, a, in December, they asked four separate teams for contract proposals. They had already driven all the prototypes, but now they want to see the contract for the full fleet. And when we say teams, you're talking about companies. Yes, four different corporate entities and or consortia. The old ones were made by Grumman, which probably was absorbed into McDonnell Douglas, which was absorbed into Boeing at some point. Which is now all part of uh, Amazon yeah, slash General Mills. Unilever. And, American uh, Online. And the date was originally supposed to be March 27th to bid for this $6 billion government contract. One of these co- uh, companies might be building 180,000 of these things. But March 26th, oops-a-daisy. March 27th has come and gone. Yeah. yeah. But there was something else going on, wasn't there? Yes. And uh, so the, the status uh, we wanted to point out is up in the air. Really? Um, and the status of the Postal Service... 
is up in the air. That is so infuriating to me. I cannot, I almost cannot breathe. It's almost the thing that I'm makes so me mad. angriest about this yeah. is the fact that we're going to give $80 billion to Carnival Cruises. Now, you made a wonderful point, I think, online, one of the one of the few tweets that didn't uh, make me mad, which was that the Postal Service would be profitable if it hadn't been, uh, if if it weren't unfairly charged to conduct its own service. Did you not? Was yeah, this I, not you? I'm not sure I made that point, but uh, it's 100% true that uh, political forces unfriendly to the post office made some Bush-era changes to the agency, which has forced it to guarantee its own pensions like 75 years out right, or something, something that no private competitor of the post office has to do. Making it impossible for it to, to, to compete, cover its, in, uh, right. its interest payments. So it's very difficult for the post office to be... But it would be profitable otherwise. The Postal Service, I mean, and really to talk about the Postal Service as an entry that would or would not be profitable, I mean, you might as well ask if the Coast Guard is profitable or if the Census Bureau is profitable because the post office is delivering is doing a service that no one else does. Right. It, it's, you know, there's... Bringing uh, circulars from the supermarket. To tens of millions of rural Americans who are enthusiastically voting for the same people that want to defund the post office. Now, I think the Coast Guard is profitable because they resell all that cocaine <laughs> and they're well, what, making big bucks. And all the, the Spanish pirate galleons they find. Right, all, right. All the, the, the ingots. All the Maseratis they confiscate from drug dealers and then sell to... Uh, other drug dealers. So the post office is facing challenging times and I don't want the future to be filled with wreckage of Grumman LLVs. I wonder whether the, the, whether coming out the other side, whether this contract will be canceled because our, um, they're not going to have the money. Our president in name only is working hard to eliminate this, this enterprise. I feel like the post office is not going to die. You're here. This is the this is the kind of uh, grandstanding that you make when you haven't really thought through your options. Right. Which is it's not, sort of like building a wall along our southern border. <laughs> exactly. Like there may be actual reasons we have the post office that make it politically untenable to try to just kill it in one fell swoop just because it's had a lousy quarter. Now, listen, I'm I am. Uh, supposing that people that donate to the Omnibus Patreon and are listening to this addenda episode also skew in the direction of believing that our president is somewhat ridiculous. It's a syphilitic carnival barker. <laughs> and yet that may not be true. And there may be, and generally we keep politics out of our regular episodes, except for some snide asides. But look, if that's you, your man is trying to starve the post office. And what I'm asking is if you are politically conservative or, or even just trend towards supporting the president and are listening to the omnibus Patreon episode, please write to <laughs> omnibus project at gmail.com. No, no, write us at P.O. Box 55744. <laughs> oh, Shoreline 99155. Yeah. Write us a cursive letter. Explain why the post office should go away. They Be need they need your letters right now. Because I am curious about you as a listener. So please give us a little briefly. Don't go into it all. Ken and I have read the newspaper. We don't need everything explained to us, but just give us a little breakdown. Because you know, we don't want to be exclusive of people with alternate views we uh 
but the rest of you should just go buy stamps. Yeah, everybody else should already be mailing things, mailing packages to one another just to keep it afloat. Go buy a mail truck. Are they selling the old ones mm, yet? I bet you they do, yeah. I mean, that's that would, be a, surplus. that would be a real source of income for the post office if these Grumman LVs were no longer, no longer scrap metal, but if they were beloved collectible items thanks to omnibus fans. I bet you the post office surpluses those to some private contractor, and they're the ones that make the cash. Boo. Yeah. I'm sure... That's what Congress says they have to do. But I do think that you should send us your grandfather's coin collection to 55744, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 981 We do not want to live in a future where the Postal Service is just a winsome indie rock band. Yeah. That, and that will become oof. silhouettes when its bodies finally go. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the theme of Omnibus. <laughs> we should do we'll become silhouettes. Oh, we should do silhouettes, 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 silhouettes. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda Volume 6. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.